0: This is a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station.
1: Shall we begin?
2: <laughs> Expecto Patronum.
0: You know, you got you got nice color skin.
2: What color would you say that is? My color. The Osage,
0: they have the worst land possible, but they outsmarted everybody.
1: The land had oil on it, black
0: gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. <laughs> <laughs> BFM 89.9, this is Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And today we are talking about one of the most, I think, anticipated films of the year. It is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different and just start things off by saying, um, because I know this is one of the biggest questions people have around it. The film is three hours and 25 minutes. Um, I'm going to say very strongly and in no uncertain terms that if you are at all interested but you have been wavering about watching this film in the cinema you should go you can come back and listen to us later but you should go to the cinema
2: thoughts? 100% worth watching in the cinema. Uh, Plan properly. Don't do a midnight show, clearly. Um, Someone did. (laughs) I know I did. Um, I wish I'd done it in the daytime, to be honest. But other than that, 100% worth going to the cinema for. This is made to be watched on a big screen. And I think just kind of revel in the emotions of it all.
1: Yeah, and, and also there are just some movies, la, You know, um, there are some movies that you know within the first five minutes that it's going to be one of the best things that you've seen this year, or maybe even in the last five years. I don't know. Um, this is one of those movies. It's it's a it's a giant size film. It's definitely a cinema movie. Uh, it's, cin- it's cinema uh, with all <laughs> caps. It's a it's a film, um, and it is Martin Scorsese. Showing everyone why he's arguably the best filmmaker of the last 50 years or one of the best filmmakers of the last 50 years. Um, It's a really good movie. Um, So, so good. I loved it. I appreciated like every minute of the super long three hours and 25 minutes that this thing was.
0: So 100% recommendation from the three of us to go watch it in the cinema. Um, I I bring that up because I know people are wavering a little bit. It is a commitment, but it is... So good, and I, we just want good things for you. Go watch it. So, um, Killers of the Flower Moon is uh, how do we describe it? Okay, maybe maybe I'll just say the plot, mm. and then we can all talk about how the plot is not the point. But um, <laughs> the the film takes place in in Osage Country, um, in which essentially the people of The Osage Nation are being paid per person um, for the oil that is on their lands. Um, They are, of course, um, indigenous. Indigenous Native Americans. And so um, essentially what goes on is that they inherit the head rights. Um, Each person gets paid a certain amount. If they pass away, it goes to their family members. Um, And a bunch of people um, have found a way, a bunch of white people explicitly, have found a way to try and exploit that by marrying into the family and then um, committing violence against the people that they're married to
2: yes this is set in the 20s also so um you know a lot of the a lot of what law enforcement or even the government or the authorities are inclined to do um to protect indigenous people um is minimal at best um a lot of this happens in this sort of little isolated town that they all live in um it's it's one of those movies right that takes a part of history and all, uh, uh, the story that this is based on and particularly the characters that this is based on were real. So it's based on real stories. And based on a book about that story. Yes. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of this this portion of uh, American history. So it's one of those movies that takes a very complex, complicated and, and painful part of history, makes it into a film and turns it into a kind of collective reflection on how we think about communities and, and uh, power and it, it really money when it comes down to it.
1: And also, but at the same time, it's not really a historical film either, right? Like you say, like it's a, it's a biopic of, of um, a moment in history or, or someone in history, Um it, it, it's a character study, lah, with very uncomfortable characters. We spoke about taxi driver yesterday, and how Martin Scorsese makes us sit with these characters that we don't want to sit with or, or you know share space with them, right? And and this is one of those movies. Um, it's a character study on greed and racism and a kind of like perverse hierarchy of some people over other people, um, and and you are stuck in that situation for three hours and 25 minutes. The audience has no cipher. Things just keep getting worse and worse for the only decent people in the film. It's it's tough to watch. I'm, I'm not leading to like any positive points. Like it's no. all bad. It's it's all bad. Mm. Um, it'll all make you angry. Um, very angry. You'll come out very angry. You'll come out feeling disgusted. But the only upside is that you'll feel like you've seen a very, very, very good movie and you've paid hard-earned money to watch a very good movie in the cinema.
0: I think um, I've been saying this to both of you. To me, and I don't want to downplay the importance of it being about a community and about a group of peoples, um, specifically the Osage and what happened to them, because that that's really important. Um, what happens to Molly, who is our one of our central characters? Um, what happens to Molly's family as a result of her association with her husband's family is is a very intense thing. But I I also think that it's worth calling this what it is, which is in some ways a love story. And, and, and that's part of the discomfort, the recognition that it is actually a love story. It's a marriage story. It's a story about two people in a relationship um, that, that has such deep-rooted abuse, that has such deep-rooted troubles in it, and yet they love each other. And, and there's something about the tension of that that also goes on to inform the whole movie.
2: Actually, the marriage and the relationship between um, Ernest, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Molly, played by Lily Gladstone, is so complex, right? There's so much there because the dynamics of Actually, who's the powerful one? Because, you know, Molly's obviously the rich one. That's why he's married into her family to she's begin with. She's also obviously the smarter one. Yes. Sorry. But also but no, by miles, by miles, really. Uh, Leo's, uh, Leo's character is not going to win any prizes for that here. But she's also um, declared a quote unquote incompetent by the government and so has to get her money from someone whose job it is to oversee her money. Leo, on the other or rather Ernest, on the other hand, um, obviously doesn't have a lot of money, uh, sees this as a way to move upward, but then has the sort of whiteness to contend with. And so there's so much here. And yet, I truly do believe, despite the horrific things that happen, they do love each other. And that makes the movie very difficult to sit with and watch as you get towards the end. Not, And that's not even getting into the kind of racial exploitation and abuse that uh, the people in the movie experience.
1: So that's why I wanted to ask, like, is there a lesson in this movie? Like, is the is the movie trying to say something or not? Because even if there's not, right, I, I don't think there is. Um, other than less, like maybe they, they were in love and maybe there is love involved in this very, very weird, toxic uh, situation that they are in. But at the end of the day, I was trying to think about what is the movie actually trying to say, other than the the greed and racism stuff. Well, there is no lesson, right? There's no, there's no, there's there's no story actually behind the story.
0: There's no, I don't think there's a greater lesson except for except for people who have power to reflect on that power and privilege. Um, because I think in many ways, and maybe this is easier for me to say because I'm not white or American, um, but I think that the movie makes a very compelling argument for why white Americans um, entering spaces can sometimes ruin them. Because that's the mm. ex- the most explicit thing that ends up being said in the film, that they come to a place and they make everything bad. They marry into families, they make everything bad. Um, and again, it's easier for me to say not being white or American but the film is made and starring um, white Americans and I think that that is in
2: many ways the point for me I thought that the the lesson or the point actually as it were, especially because of the way the movie is filmed and framed, right? Um, there are There's use of quote-unquote historical footage. There's a whole really clever segment towards the end, uh, an act of documentation, an act of um, mediating the story and sending it to a wider audience. To me, it feels... And who gets to mediate. Yes, and who gets to mediate, right? But to me, it feels like an act of standing witness. Lah. I, it felt like this horrible thing happened in our history. Don't shy away from it look at it. This is what happened. And I think that's important too.
1: I also think it's important to say that, um, you know, some movies we talk about, then we say that even if you don't want to intellectualize it, even if you don't want to pay attention, you can watch it for the the visuals or the performances. I think this is a movie that you definitely have to intellectualize a bit. Like, I think you have to pay attention. You have to be watching the movie 110%. Very few people in my uh, screening were actually eating. There was was no sound of popcorn or wrappers or anything like that. Um, even though the movie is visually stunning, lah, like there's one scene where there's fire and the whole screen is just nothing but fire and there are silhouettes. Oh, that um, was and it's,
2: that was amazing. That reminded amazing. me of Taxi Driver, the the lights yeah. through a glass thing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so dreamy and like disorienting, and and you have to get lost in that scene in a cinema setting, right? But at the same time, I don't think it's all visuals and performances. Like it's a movie that you you definitely have to think about, lah, like, to fully appreciate.
0: And talk about after. Mm. I actually think that that's a very important thing as well. You need people to process this with. Uh, We're talking today about Killers of the Flower Moon, which is Martin Scorsese's latest epic. Um, Have you watched it yet? Do you plan to? If you've seen it, what did you think? Um, Let us know. WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio.
2: Business, finance and music. BFM 89.9. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors.
1: I ought to kill these white men who killed my family.
2: I was, uh sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? We'll see who's doing it.
0: VFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Charmila and Arvin, and together we're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, which is uh, directed and co-written actually by Martin Scorsese. Uh, the co-writer was Eric Roth. It stars it's packed. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone. You heard Jesse Plemons. There's also John Lithgow. There's Brendan Fraser. There's a lot of people, and I wanted to come back and talk a little bit about the performances because I I think this movie is, with some exceptions, um, a performance. So all of the performances are based on real subtleties. There's a lot of kind of holding back. There's a lot of reading in between the lines of how people
2: are feeling and what they're thinking, particularly in the Central Three. I don't think it's gonna be a surprise to anybody that Robert De Niro and, and Leonardo DiCaprio knocked it out of the park, right? Because their performances were so amazing. Um, it's so great to be right to good to watch a, to watch a movie by really good actors having really good writing and roles to bring to life. But Really, for me, Lily Gladstone, the standout, like her performance actually more than the others is not as showy. Um, It could have turned into a stereotype or a caricature very easily. She has so many scenes where she's not speaking, but instead it's all about her face or just a subtle body language thing. And she was so amazing. And even especially because she's standing against these huge, huge acting figures
1: you know like she she was amazing she was like awesome awesome in this movie but you know you said like leonardo dicaprio is is not a it's not a surprise that he knocked it out of the park right i keep waiting for him to fail at some point like with one of his performances because i feel like he's he's been doing this for so long he's he's been an actor for so long that at some point his reputation outside of the movies has to get bigger than who he is in the movies and it still hasn't happened yet you know when tom hanks played um I forgot what's his name in the terminal, and he put on that 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 accent, mm-hmm. and he was trying to play like a, like a non-American. But by the time he was Tom Hanks, so it was it took a bit of like getting used to. Like halfway through the movie, then you're like, okay, now it's it's believable. It doesn't happen with Leonardo DiCaprio. Like I think Martin Scorsese managed to make one of the most attractive people on the planet, depending on on who you are undesirable and not even in like a physical way I mean he's like creepy and slimy and his demeanor is irritating and insufferable he should win like he should sweep like every award (laughs) that comes his way. he should win for
2: this yes primarily just for exactly those things he's being so despicable but so watchable he is such a
0: curious character because I I keep saying this I think he might be the dumbest character, main character ever put to screen. He, he's really... Like, if this were not based in real life, there are incidents as the plot unfolds, um, particularly in relation to the the crime side of things, right? Because it's being done by people who don't know what they're doing. And, mm. and if you... If you didn't know that this was based in history, you would think that this is too unbelievable. That the writers were lazy, when in fact this is what these people did. And and Leo sells it right. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio really sells the whole performance, charmless as it is, um, and, and that's quite amazing. Robert De Niro threw me for a loop for about. 30 to 45 minutes which is nothing you know like 1% of just the film just
2: the, uh, the, the you know
0: <laughs> initial blink of it correct you know <laughs> but like I barely dented my popcorn but the but he really threw me off because we've seen robert de niro play menacing so many times he he's Often played, you know, crime bosses, or he's frightening. Um, and in this case, there's something very discomforting about him. He's he's grandfatherly. He's supposedly nice, and yet he's also insisting people call him king. Um, folks seem scared of him, and and it takes a while for you to understand what he's doing.
2: Actually, hearing you guys say that, this is Martin Scorsese doing his usual like high drama crime films, but in normal, ordinary life, isn't it? Because there's crime, there's violence. In fact, there's unspeakable violence, but in an everyday setting. That And the way the violence is shot is different yes. to how he usually does mm-hmm. it yes. too. Yeah. And then um, the characters also, they're like versions of characters you've seen them play. But like toned down and and in a... What would, what would evil and violence look like if it was just a regular person in a regular town? And that's what yeah. he seemed to be doing. And, and it's so clever. It's so clever to take his usual Scorsese playbook. Although saying that I feel like that's quite reductive. I don't even know that he has a playbook, but maybe the things people associate with a Scorsese film but then applying it to a story like this.
1: I think for me like it was quite unsettling because one like Leo is playing against type, right? But then also like mentioning De Niro it's a complete lack of De Niro in Robert De Niro. Like we, we've seen him do, like he's become a bit of a, a, like an archetype of himself, right? He has his mannerisms and the Robert De Niro stuff. But it's completely void here. Like you don't see any of that or you're, you don't see anything familiar. So after like halfway through the movie, you forget that this character is being played by Robert De Niro. Um, but no, lie, You know Leonardo DiCaprio looking like a like a Looney Tunes bandit is just is is something else. Like like a live action version of, of of a cartoon bandit, it's just something else.
0: I I just want to return briefly to Lily Gladstone because I think when you have these two heavy hitters, it's very easy for somebody to get lost mm. or subsumed in the middle of it. But she's the heart of the movie. If, if you didn't care about her, um, there is a moment where after unspeakable tragedy after unspeakable tragedy, she's in the cellar of her house and she hears that yet another one of her family members has died and she wails. And I, I don't know, it was a physical reaction for me, like tears just sprang to my eyes and I just thought,
2: wow, who is this? No, she was She was wonderful. She. I think she also really captured the balance between um, the balance of a character that is both... Um, kind of on the, in in between two worlds right modernity and tradition um, white culture and native american culture and and she just she feels like an act you know how sometimes actors don't look like they really belong in that time that they're from this character and the way lily gladstone plays molly feels so believable um in this space
1: no and i think also like she captured that that perfect balance of powerful but also naive Um, And innocent, innocent more than naive, I think. And that's not like, um, that's not like offensive to the character itself. But I'm just saying that you need that, right, to, to fall in love with a certain person who who Leonardo DiCaprio is playing and that character. I think that it's that perfect blend. And it also makes you as the audience very, very frustrated because you start pulling at your hair and going like, like, what are you thinking, you know? But um, you kind of believe in them too. I mean, like you believe in the way they
2: fall in love. Yes. Which yes, which also sure. makes you sad because um, you know what's coming.
0: No, and the way they stay in love. Yeah. The sad part is how they stay in love. I think falling yeah. in love, it's like almost a meat cute um, or what passes for a meat cute in Oklahoma in the 1920s it's all very odd but, the, but staying in love the fact that um, you are shown many instances of a loving marriage that even as he's trying to harm her he's like tell the doctor tell the doctor what you ate mm. so that you get the proper medication mm. and and it's all this weird dissonance that that happens we are running out of time because frankly we could talk about this film for like three more episodes but can we talk about the cinematography the music the editing the? I really want to talk about the costume Because I think the costuming is exquisite.
2: I I just wanted to say that I feel like if you want a 101 on all of those aspects and how they go into telling a really great story on screen, this movie is it. Every aspect, every technical aspect of this movie is so much love put into creating that story.
1: And it also looks so effortless. It looks like it it just happens. Like Like you don't even
2: notice it because it's that well put together.
1: You don't notice the budget. Like you can't tell it's, yes. a, it's a super expensive movie, right? Which again, I know this is the third time we're saying it, but just circling back to I cannot imagine why they would release this on a streaming service. I don't know why originally it was supposed to drop purely on a streaming service. Like, come on, lad, like this is, it's by default a big cinema, like a big screen movie. And all those details, the cinematography, the music on the the speakers, the surround sound, all of that needs to be seen in the cinema.
0: Also, the next time we hear conversations about cultural appropriation, I think this movie needs to be kind of talked about as an example of how you can do it correctly. Um, You know, there was consultation. The story significantly changed as a result of that consultation. There were conversations about where they would shoot because they were shooting in the space in Oklahoma. And look, if it can be done, it can be done.
2: And then the movie is better for it. And if it can be done by an 80-year-old filmmaker... (laughs) Like really what excuses? No, because what my excuse? point is, if people can learn and evolve yeah, and change, no, no. what excuses everybody else have? Exactly.
0: Watch the movie, guys. It's long. We know it's long. It is very good. You're not going to feel the running time, or at least you won't feel it in the way you think you're going to feel it. Um, we're talking today about Killers of the Flower Moon. Let us know if you've watched it or you plan to. WhatsApp 18 789 Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my.